Father, I pray that once again the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is wonderful to see all of you here this morning, and uh, it's, it's been a lot of pressure on the worship team to have to, uh, you know, hear these sermons and direct it to five of them every week. So now I get to spread it out a little more, uh, not to mention those on streaming. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot over the course of the last few years particularly uh, is, is this conversation and, and dialogue and claims about truth. In the course of these conversations about truth, you, you hear a lot of words that seemingly don't have anything to do with truth. Things like, you know, fake and biased and uh, tainted and things that, that people want to use as they try to think about what is truth and what is not truth. And what often ends up happening is that if we're honest with ourselves, the truth becomes a discussion more about what I perceive to be truth than a general sense of we all agree about truth. And I don't think that started with us, and I don't think that's limited to us. I think that idea has been going on a long, long time, at least as far back, probably further, but at least as far back as the conversation that Jesus has with the Roman governor Pilate. It is such a pivotal thing for Jesus to talk about truth that in the last hours of his life, As he has this conversation with Pilate, Jesus focuses the conversation on truth. Now, Pilate wants to talk about kings. He asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? John doesn't give us any context for where that came from. Seems like out of the blue, Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, uh, you say I'm a king. And I think what he means is, I am a king. And you're saying that, but I'm not the kind of king that you think I am. Because Jesus says, actually, I was born in this world not not so much about being a king as testifying, bearing witness of the truth. And Jesus changes the whole subject from talking about kings to talking about truth. Pilate has a hard time getting that. Because he says, so you're a king or are you not? And I think that then and I think that for Pilate and for so many people, particularly people like Pilate, all of the world operates in power structures. That's what the world is about. It's about power structures. And how does the power structure work? How does the power structure operate? And truth in the midst of power structures is always skewed to the advantage of the power structure. I mean, we see it all over the place. In fact, the motto of most people who have power in the earthly power structures often is the truth is what we want it to be. The truth is what will allow us to grab wealth, hold on to wealth, and gain wealth, and prestige, and power, and whatever else we're trying to get. And the truth has a tendency to be subservient to power. And Jesus is trying to help Pilate understand, and quite frankly, I think he's trying to help us understand, 
That's not the way truth operates. It's kind of an audacious thing that Jesus says here. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everybody who's of the truth listens to my voice, Jesus says. What an audacious thing for Jesus to say, that the truth is all about him and his voice and what he says. It's not about anything else. It's about him. Because the reality is when we think about truth, we tend to think of truth as an ideology. We tend to think of truth as facts that that we can arrange and facts that we can understand. Jesus is saying the truth is actually a person. It's him. He is the truth. And everybody who is of the truth is about him. What he's really doing is just reiterating what he says, what John tells us he says to his disciples in John 14 as they're in the upper room. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth, he says. The truth is not an ideology. The truth is not something you can can discern as to what you think the truth is. The truth is Jesus. In one of his sermons, theologian Paul Tillich said, Jesus is the truth not because his teachings are true, but rather his teachings are true because they express the truth which he himself is. And sometimes, I I, I think sometimes we all fall into the mindset of the truth is what Jesus teaches. And to an extent, that's true because it reveals him. But sometimes we get so caught on on the teachings that we miss the fact that they are expressing, they're leading us, they're all about Jesus and who he is. That's why I think we have to understand that the truth is Trinitarian and eternal. When Jesus says, I am the truth, everybody who is of the truth listens to me He is saying it is about the eternal nature of my kingdom. It's the eternal nature of who God is. That God the Father is the essence of truth, and God the Son reveals the truth, and God the Spirit plants the truth into this world and into the hearts of those who are, are with Him. It is an eternal thing. And so often, we think the truth is what we interpret it. We think the truth is how we see it. But the reality is, at the essence of truth, is that it is the eternalness of God and his kingdom. If something is not of the kingdom, it is not truth. And if something is truth, then it is of the kingdom. It is eternal. It is Trinitarian. It is beyond us. And we don't get to judge what the truth is. Our call is to surrender ourselves to the truth, who is Jesus. I think Jesus is sort of giving Pilate a test here. And he's saying, Pilate, you're talking about 
truth. Well, let me tell you, because Pilate later says, well, what is truth? Who knows what truth is? Jesus says, truth is standing right in front of you. This is the truth. It's hard for him to grasp that. In Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, he talks about the fact that the word aletheia is really the, the, the negative of, of uh, forgetting. And he says you could almost interpret it as saying to stop forgetting is the truth. I think that's an interesting idea because we have a tendency to forget. It's one of the things that God keeps saying to the Israelites, remember who I am, remember what I've done, remember me. And that's, that will keep you focused on the truth. It's not just about what God does, it's about who God is that's revealed in what God does. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in the works of God, as important as they are, our, our lives become looking for one more work of God and one more work of God when the reality is what He wants from us is relationship with Him, to surrender to Him, to worship Him, to give ourselves to Him. But it's understanding who He is. There's something about the, the famous painting by Holman Hunt, The Light of the World, that is so it's fascinating to people for centuries. He talks about, in this painting, you can see that uh, there's a couple of things that people typically, one thing people typically point out in this painting is that there's no handle on the outside of the door, which means the door cannot be opened from the outside. It can only open from the inside, which is something interesting to think about God coming to a home and having to wait for the door to be opened from the inside. But the other thing that I heard someone talking about not too long ago is that when you look at this, Holman Hunt presents himself as the king. He's wearing, Jesus is wearing the crown, presents Jesus as the king. He's wearing the crown. He is coming to this door as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And what is he doing? He's knocking on the door. In our world, kings don't knock on doors. If Pilate wants to enter a home, he doesn't knock on the door. He just knocks the door down. If Pilate wants to enter a place, he simply sends a few soldiers ahead of him, and they either force the door open or they knock it down. Because in our world of power and power structures, you don't knock on doors to exhibit power because the very fact of knocking on the door implies that the person inside has power over you whether they're going to open the door and let you in or not the very act of knocking is implying I'm not in control here the person inside is it's a very humble posture and yet John's vision Jesus says in Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And Holman Hunt has grasped that idea that the King of kings and the Lord of lords knocks. This is who God is. This is the essence that Jesus is trying to help Pilate understand, but Pilate can't get it because he and all the, peop the people who are waiting outside who brought Jesus to him don't want to operate in that kind of a mindset. They want to operate in the mindset of a power structure. 
Humility is not a part of what they want to think about. But Jesus says, this is the truth of who I am. This is the truth of the creator God. This is the one who stands before you, Pilate. That's why at the heart of truth is the cross. I don't think we can truly understand the truth that Jesus is without the cross. I've been fascinated for a long time about the fact that when Jesus appears to the disciples in John 20, how is it that they know it's him by his scars? It's by his scars. At the center of the eternal truth that Jesus is, is the cross. The cross that is love and grace and mercy. The cross in which Jesus takes upon himself all that evil can give. All that evil can do. He bears all of it in suffering and pain so that we might know the truth and be set free. And the heart of the truth is the cross. And that implies that when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, then you take up your cross and you deny yourself and you follow me. That's the truth. That's the truth of the kingdom. That's the calling to all who want to follow Jesus and be disciples of Jesus. I want the truth to be something else. I want the truth to to not be quite so demanding. But Jesus says, this is the kingdom. This is who I am. So often when we think about truth, we think about the fact that, I mean, I've heard different people say through the years, and I've probably said it myself, you know, we're, I want to be about the truth. And by that, what we mean is, I want to make sure everybody knows that they're wrong and I'm right. I want to make sure that everybody knows what is good and bad, and I want to make sure everybody gets it right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in one sense, that we need to be, we need to be agents of right and wrong and good and bad And and we need to do that. But the interesting thing to me is that when Jesus summarizes everything about what he is, he says, they'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. He says, if you, when asked what the greatest commandment is, he says, here's the truth, in essence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And out of that mindset. Out of that, the the nature of truth as love comes everything else. John Wesley, in talking about entire sanctification and uh, and perfect love and, and all of those things, said that it's really nothing more or less than pure love. It is the refiner's fire purging out of all of us what is contrary to love. That's the call of the gospel on us. 
You know, it, I think it often comes out in small ways. I think we learn how to love. We, often I think, okay, love is, is this big picture thing. Love is this, is this world thing. And it may be that, but I think we learn how to love in small ways, in everyday ways, in relational ways. I was convicted about that this past weekend. I love watching the basketball tournament, the college basketball tournament. And I've been watching a lot of the games. I, I love watching that. And I don't really have, you know, as the saying goes, I don't really have a dog in the hunt because uh, my favorite team didn't make it in. So, but I'm just enjoying watching the game. But here's the thing. I do root for different teams when the games get going. I tend to root for underdogs. You know, I tend to want the Cinderella stories. But there are teams that are in the tournament that, quite frankly, are not my favorite teams. I usually try to root for them to lose. You know, because I don't, I don't want them to win. And for a variety of reasons. Maybe I don't like their coach or maybe something happened in the past or maybe they beat my team too many times or whatever the case may be. And I was watching a, a game, some games last weekend and, and what was interesting to me was that I was feeling very emotional about the game. Again, I didn't have a team in the hunt in the game except that one of the teams playing was a team that I don't really like to see win. And what I found myself wrestling with was that I was feeling animosity, not just toward the team, but toward the players. I don't know those players. I don't live near those players. I've never met those players. They might be the most wonderful people in the face of the earth. And, and it was weird in the middle of a basketball game how God can convict you. But he did. He said, what are you doing? I don't want you to have those kinds of feelings toward people. And we had a wrestling match, God and I did, in that moment. And it's an ongoing wrestling match. But it struck me in that moment that, that if I allow myself to have those kinds of feelings toward people that I don't know, that I don't have any connection to, if those feelings get inside of me, they tend to grow. And they tend to become more than they started out being. And they keep growing and expanding. And the Holy Spirit is saying to me, is that what you want? Because you know that's not the nature of my kingdom of truth. And I'm working on it. When Jesus says, everybody who is of the truth hears my voice, he's saying an interesting thing. What does it mean to hear his voice? What does it mean to listen to God? As I was pondering that, my mind went back to when I was in, I think, fourth grade. I was out playing at a neighbor's house. They had a basketball hoop in the back of their garage. And I was, most days, that's where you would find me after school, shooting baskets and playing basketball, sometimes with friends, but often I was just out there shooting by myself. And my dad called me for dinner, and I didn't hear him. When he finally later got my attention and I got home, I got punished for not coming home when he asked me to. I have to be honest with you. I think, as far as I can remember, that is the only, that's the only time I can remember being punished unfairly. Now, it's such an anomaly that I still remember it. 
from fourth grade. Been a few years ago. Because most of the time, in fact, probably all the rest of the times I was punished for something, it was legitimate. I deserved it. There were many times when my parents would call me to come home or call me to stop doing something or call me to to do whatever they wanted me to do, and I heard them, but I ignored them. I just want to shoot a few more baskets. I just want to play this game a little bit longer. I just want to do this a little bit more. And the more I ponder that, the more I realize that hearing is more than than the auditory ability for our ears to take in sound. It's about responding. My parents made that clear to me through the years. Hearing is responding. And when Jesus says, all those who have the truth hear my voice, listen to my voice, it's not just it goes into our ears, but we do something about it. We respond, we accept, we love, we surrender. We allow God to say to us what He wants to say, and we receive it willingly, sincerely, honestly. That's what it means to be people of the truth. It's not just to be able to have the truth in our minds. It's about our hearts. It's about our lives. It's about our actions. It's about who we are and what we do. I think the question that every one of us has to wrestle with today and every day is, do we hear the voice of God? Are we responding to it? Do we have a passion to hear God? Do we have a passion to let God speak into our lives and to respond to that in a positive way, in a willing way, in a loving way, whatever he may be asking of us? The saddest part of this story, of this encounter between Jesus and Pilate, and ultimately between Jesus and all the crowd that's outside, is that God is speaking to them in the moment. Pilate has a moment, but he's encountering the truth. Will he hear it? From every indication we have, he doesn't. This is not a passion to hear God. Is there a passion in us to hear God? To hear the truth? To want the truth? To desire the truth? To act upon the truth? To be obedient to Jesus, the truth? I was watching a movie a few weeks ago where two guys were talking about their lives, and one guy said to the other one, he was, one guy was trying to make, figure out whether he should take a risk about a life decision. And his friend said to him, look, the ancient Greeks never wrote by auto, uh, obituaries. He said, when a man died, they only asked one question. Did he have passion? I heard that and I thought, is that true? I don't know if that's true or not. You know, Hollywood likes to make up things. It sounded good, but I don't know if that's true or not. But it struck me as something to ponder. Because the reality is, we are called to be disciples of Jesus who have passion for Jesus. We have passion for lots of things, but ultimately, at the heart of us, is that we have a passion for Jesus. When I was younger, I had a passion about baseball. 
I love knowing everything about baseball. I, I could tell you statistics, players, history, all these things. I, can, I think I can still tell you the starting lineups from the Detroit Tigers and St. Louis Cardinals, the 1968 World Series. Ask, you come to me afterwards, I'll try to recite it for you if you're really interested in that. I couldn't hear my parents when they called me for dinner, but that I could get, right? I guess what my parents used to say too. But fortunately, the passion began to grow in other ways. And there's nothing wrong with having passions about other things, but it's the ultimate, deepest passion of our life, hearing the voice of Jesus, who is the truth. Because we don't have a passion to listen. We won't. If we don't have a passion for Jesus, the truth, we will never know the joy and the freedom of, being, of, of the, giving ourselves to him the truth. Jesus is standing in front of every one of us. Every single one of us. It doesn't matter where we are on our journey with him. We've never started or we've been with him for years. We are continually being confronted by Jesus, the truth. And if we are of the truth, we hear his voice. We want his voice. We are open to his voice. We're passionate to his voice. And we surrender to his voice. Because we believe with all of our heart that he's the truth. That Jesus, the truth, sets us free. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your truth. Give us a renewed, deeper passion to hear and respond to the grace of Christ. Amen.